Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel. Welcome to the Employment Roundtable, where we provide you with the perspectives and information you need to make wise employment decisions for your employees and your organizations. I'm your host, Talitha Ebright, and today we're talking with the EEOC's Holly Cole and my Gable Gottwald's partner, Paula Williams, about the first of a two-part series titled COVID-19 and Disabilities. This episode looks at when ADA accommodations apply with respect to COVID-19. Thanks for being here, Paula and Holly. I appreciate you as always. Um, Holly, during the last episode, you provided a very useful overview of uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act and how it intersects with Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act and the Family Medical Leave Act. Has the EEOC seen charges alleging discrimination under the ADA in relation to COVID? We have. And, and first, Talitha, thanks again for inviting me to come and speak today. And I want to reference um, the EEOC's guidance on COVID-19. It's a very comprehensive guidance that contains everything that the EEOC has said about COVID-19 in relation to the um, employment laws that we enforce, particularly the ADA. Um, that's going to be found at eeoc.gov forward slash coronavirus eeoc.gov forward slash coronavirus. That's right on the EEOC's webpage. Um, So I think in another episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about when uh, COVID-19 is a disability and when it's not a disability. But for purposes of our conversation today, I think I'd like to to talk uh, more about reasonable accommodation issues and how those requests might come up uh, in the context of COVID-19 and some of the the types of charges that we are seeing um, at the EEOC. So one of the, just kind of give you a couple examples of of some of the things we might see. Um, Sometimes people are asking for um, an accommodation because um, they have a disability already and um, contracting COVID-19 would put them at greater risk or would exacerbate their their existing disability. So they may ask for an accommodation, uh, for instance, to be segregated in the workplace, to be apart from other employees so that they don't come into contact with someone who who has COVID or that lessens their risk. So that that might be one accommodation we see. Um, Sometimes we might see someone who has COVID-19 themselves Again, sometimes it's a disability, sometimes it's not, uh, but they may, they may ask for an accommodation. Um, they may have a disability, and this is kind of an interesting one, they may have a disability that is exacerbated by the, just the anxiety and the stress and the challenges that we all face uh, dealing with a pandemic. Something that comes to mind might be somebody who has an anxiety disorder. Um, So dealing with all of that stress um, related to the pandemic may make their disability worse. Therefore, they may ask their employer for certain accommodations um, to kind of lessen that. So 
And then uh, something else that we have we have been seeing, and I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on on vaccines because that that could be a whole episode in and of itself. But um, we have seen employees asking to be exempt from an employer's uh, required vaccination policy. How that might come up is a person who has a disability, let's say it's a lung disease such as pulmonary fibrosis, and their physician has said, I don't recommend you get the vaccine because it may harm, you know, may harm you, it may cause your, your disability to become worse, something like that. So then their reasonable accommodation request might come in the form of, please exempt me from the mandatory uh, vaccination uh, requirement. And then uh, uh, some other kinds of examples that we might see is uh, people might ask to wear, uh, so if the employer is requiring people to wear gloves in the workplace, maybe it's a food service, they might say, I need non-latex gloves because I have a skin allergy to latex. Um, they might ask if it's someone who lip reads, for instance, they may ask for um, the face masking policy to be somehow modified or maybe wear the, the clear screen so that they can see other people um, and, and read their lips. Th those are just a, a couple of, of examples. But And then the third thing we, we sometimes see um, is for caregivers. Now, this doesn't really fall within the ADA because someone who is simply being a caregiver to either a person with a disability or to you know, taking care of someone who's positive for COVID, um, they're not really entitled to a, a reasonable accommodation because they themselves don't have a disability, but the employer certainly could offer some sort of arrangement to that person um, to enable them to do their caregiving um, activities as long as that's necessary. But those are kind of some of the, the common things that we have been seeing. Uh, Talitha, if I can jump in, um, <clears throat> I I want to be clear that COVID isn't always, it's sometimes a disability, and and as Holly alluded to, because I, as you know, Talitha, we're going to talk about that soon in the next episode about when it might be a disability, because uh, the EEOC has said quite a bit about that, but I want to make sure that our audience knows, too, that um, our starting place is that uh, COVID alone so without an additional disability, like pulmonary fibrosis or the like that we're considering, COVID alone, uh, your standard, I have cold or flu-like symptoms for two or three weeks, I'm sick, I miss a lot of work, that is not going to be a disability. When you have what I'm just going to say is the standard bout of COVID, for some people it's three days, uh, for some people it's several weeks but it resolves um, and it's not causing lasting ongoing health issues. So it, it resolves. That's, that's not going to be a disability. If someone's asymptomatic, it's not going to be a disability. And if you have an employee that is out of, um, out of sick leave um, or, or, and is required to quarantine or because of exposure or isolate, and they say, well, I have a disability. And so I need an accommodation. We're not in the accommodation space. Certainly the employer is going to want to have the same interactive accommodation um, conversation to make sure they're not missing something else. And we are just talking about our standard COVID case. But if that's the case, then those accommodations will not come into play. Um, but I, I like so that. Yeah, I think ahead. that raises an interesting question then, Paula, because, you know, um, 
kind of starting with that default position that, you know, COVID alone without something more is not a disability. Um, to comply with the ADA, what do employers need to be thinking about um, when an employee comes to them and tells them that they have a positive test or that they've been exposed to COVID or that they have symptoms that are consistent with COVID? Sure. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to limit my answer to the ADA context, because as we know, employers have an obligation to keep a, a healthy and a safe workspace. And so there are, there are other obligations that an employer may have that we could talk about that's outside of what, what boxes do we need to check under ADA. So first, um, employers should know that under ADA, they can immediately require that that employee go home and that that employee isolate for you know, at, at least the recommended time as required by the CDC. And that may differ based on um, whether you're listening to this in, in March 2022 or where things stand in October 2022. Um, you know, we've seen that change a lot. And as science evolves, we hope that those recommendations evolve and it's going to require employers to evolve. But you can immediately send those um, employees home. Uh, you, if you have information that they have tested positive, any medical information, whether it's a temperature check that you've done, um, because that is allowed right now, limited basis because we're in a pandemic. So please don't think that temperature checks are okay forever going forward, but whether it's a temperature check, whether it is their record of vaccination, whether it is, um, their doctor's note returning to duty, whether it is their confirmation of a positive test. That's medical information. So one of the things that ADA requires is that we're going to keep that medical information separate from a personnel file. And what that does is protect the employee that their medical information, it's going to limit the access to that medical information even further than just that employee's personnel file. So that's one thing. Um, when the employee is out, you want to make sure that whatever your policies are, that they're consistent and then they're thought through. And so um, if you permit an asymptomatic employee to telework, you need to think through, um, are, you, are you applying your policies the same to everyone? Anytime that we have different policies and we can't explain why some things apply to some people and some not, we might raise a, you know, a disability concern, um, even if the disability is not COVID related. When they're returning to work, you can require a doctor's note if you want to, a fitness for duty return. When COVID's very high, um, you know, we recently, or we are still making our way off of the Omicron surge in Oklahoma. And I'll just say we're recording this uh, in about mid-February of 2022. So we're right in yeah. the middle of that. Yeah. So we're not, we're not totally out of the woods yet, but we can see the light. Um, and, and during that, you know, our healthcare system's overloaded. So the EEOC has said, hey, yes, you can ask for this, for a fitness, a return to work slip, but you may, you know, employers be reasonable. Uh, it may come from an urgent care clinic. It may be an email and let's make sure that we're not overburdening our healthcare system when we make those requirements. Um, let's see, I think, that's what comes to mind when an employee truly tests positive. They're going to leave the workplace. You're going to keep that information confidential. Oh, one other thing that comes to mind, um, contact tracing. You can uh, provide public health authorities uh, th their name, 
you can do that so that public health authorities uh, can perform any contact tracing that they do. And, and what they're doing is going to depend on the state you're in. But you can also perform internal contact tracing. You're going to keep the name of that employee confidential. Even when you're talking, even if it's a small business, let's say you have seven employees and one employee mysteriously leaves midday and tells you that they were in close contact with everyone in the office. You should, you should still advise the people in your office that you, you have reason to believe that they may have been exposed to COVID-19 in the workplace. Um, they may be able to independently connect dots and say, oh, Susie must have COVID, but you're not going to connect those dots for them. That employee's identity is still confidential. Um, if someone in the workplace needs to know that they have COVID, um, you know, it is, it is on a need to know basis. And there are very few instances where someone needs to know the identity of the COVID-19, um, the positive case. Holly, have I missed anything that came to your mind while I was talking about that? No, not at all. You, you kind of hit on some points that I was thinking about earlier. Um, uh, but along with some, the medical documentation that we've been talking about, and again, I don't want to get too far down the, the vaccination path, but something else that employers are permitted to do is to ask for proof of vaccination status. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that is definitely permitted. But again, that would not be you know, something you're going to tack up on the bulletin board in the, in the break room. <laughs> so. Yeah. Talitha, I like it when Holly is shaking her head when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to do that too much. I don't want you to think I'm too agreeable. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, Holly and Paula, we're we're at the end of our time for today. Um, thank you so much for providing so much great information. Um, what was there were a few things that were really striking to me about our conversation today. Uh, number one was just hearing that the default position in relation to COVID and the ADA is that you know without more, um, it's not a disability. And then also just hearing about the several different types of contexts in which. Um, the EEOC might see discrimination-related complaints and the different permutations that might take. That was uh, super interesting, and I really appreciate both of your input on on these topics. Um, Thank you to you, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in today to the Employment Roundtable. Please join us next time as we move on to the second of the COVID-19 and Disabilities series and take a look at long haulers. Thanks for being here. The Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel.